We don't often talk about sin in the Episcopal Church. It is dangerous for a preacher to make folks feel bad or to cause any impediment to folks coming and sitting in these pews and worshiping God. But it is more dangerous to not talk about sin. It is more dangerous for us to talk in vague terms, or worse, to leave you feeling as though sin is unimportant. Sin is serious. We commit sin every time we put our will before God's. We commit sin every time we miss the mark God has set for us. We commit sin when we fail to follow his direction, when we stray from the path he has set before us. We commit sin every time we cause a break in our relationship with God or with our neighbor. And we are told in Romans that the wages of sin are death. And brothers and sisters, we are all sinners. But so is David. And in our Old Testament reading this morning, we got to continue the first recorded attempt at a soap opera, 2 Samuel. As you may remember from the last episode, I mean last week's reading, David has gotten himself into a pickle. The mighty King David, anointed by God as a child to be the king of Israel, has grown up. The king who has everything decided to take something he was not entitled to. David has committed adultery with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Bathsheba has fallen pregnant, and all of David's attempts to cover up his initial wrong have fallen short. As such, David sees only one option. David sends Uriah out to the most dangerous part of the battle so that he may be killed. And Uriah is killed. And after a period of mourning, David weds the newly widowed Bathsheba. All's well that ends well when you're king. But you know you're in trouble when a prophet of the Lord shows up on your doorstep. Nathan, who has already visited David once to crush his dreams of building the temple, shows up before King David and tells the king a story. Most Episcopalians wouldn't say that the creation stories in Genesis are little truths of how the world was created. But as my Old Testament professor was fond of saying, a story does not need to be factual to contain the truth. The writers of Genesis, while perhaps not being factual, certainly knew the truth of human nature. As you may remember, God comes walking through the garden looking for Adam and Eve and finds them hiding because they now know they are naked. And God, much like the dentist who asks how often you've been flossing while looking at your bleeding gums, asks them, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Don't be mistaken. God knows the answer to this question. But Adam is only human. And so he answers, as humans, both old and young, are wont to do. He points to Eve and says, she made me do it. Eve, too, is human. 
So she points to the serpent and makes a similar argument. He made me do it. We are creatures who do not want to take the blame. We want to judge ourselves by our intentions while we judge others by their actions. King David, anointed of God, is no exception to human nature. It is not until Nathan, who should not know anything about David's secret affair and murder plot, appears in court and recounts an allegory to David that David finally realizes that no matter how much he has attempted to cover it up, David has sinned. While he may have been able to justify his intentions to himself before, the Lord sent Nathan with the right approach to convince David of his wrong actions. And David, to his credit, finally confesses. Everyone wants to be the hero of their own story. We all want to be the righteous, the white hats, the chosen people of God. But as the story of King David tells us, we can be both the anointed and the damned, the chosen and the fallen, the sinners and the beloved children of God. But it is up to us to choose. And that starts with recognizing where the sin is in our own lives. The danger in our Christian lives today is that we are often unwilling to put in the hard work that Christianity demands. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned us of this in 1937 when he wrote The Cost of Discipleship. One of the most compelling parts of his work focuses on the idea of costly versus cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. In other words, standing in a garage does not make you a car. And sitting in a church on Sunday does not make you a Christian. The grace of God is freely offered to all, but we must make an effort to receive it. The story of David warns us about falling into the trap of cheap grace. God clearly has a fondness for David. He helped David to defeat Goliath. He helped David avoid being killed by Saul on multiple occasions. And finally, he made David king over all of Israel. But just because one has been anointed by God does not mean the work stops. Just because one has been baptized or saved does not mean we can stop our Christian journey here. We must always be striving to stay on God's path, to do the will of God. David has been highly favored by God, but that does not mean that David can do whatever he wants without consequence. Sin always has consequences. Once David finally examines his actions with the help of Nathan, David owns his sin. He doesn't try to explain it away or justify it. He confesses his sin and repents. He returns to the way of the Lord. And yet, David will still spend the rest of his life struggling with the many consequences that arise from this sin. But as we see God do in the Bible time and time again, God does not let the sin have the final say. 
while Adam and Eve must leave the garden, as they cannot eat from the tree of life as well, God makes garments of skins for them both. While the firstborn child of David and Bathsheba dies shortly after birth, Bathsheba becomes pregnant again and bears Solomon, who David will teach to be a righteous man and impart his knowledge of God's temple. While David's family will struggle internally up till the day he dies, David's lineage will produce Jesus, Savior of the world. We can often become complacent about our own sin. It may be briefly brought to mind when we say the general confession before communion, but as pointed out in the screw tape letters, it is easy to think that our own sins are not nearly as bad as the person kneeling next to us in the pew. But this is dangerous thinking. Like we see in the story of David, committing some sins can lead us down the path of committing other sins. We often think two wrongs can make a right, or that we got away with something once before, why not again? But sin has a way of fractioning our soul. And much like Horcruxes and Harry Potter, too many sins fraction our soul to the point of no return. We believe in grace through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross. But this does not mean we have no responsibility in our own salvation. Sin can ruin our lives on earth as well as ruin our lives after. Even if we have physically moved past the consequences of our sin, sometimes the claws of sin will still be dragging across our fragile soul. Even if we say the general confession a thousand times in service, we may find that we cannot forgive ourselves. We need to be intentional in examining our lives for sin, in confessing, and in turning back toward God. If Nathan showed up on your doorstep today, what sin would he be there to discuss? What are you holding on to? What behaviors are you justifying based on your intentions? What sin are you not owning? Bring it to God. Lay it at his feet in prayer. Focus on the words of the absolution Father Donovan will speak over us before communion. Or set up a time for private confession. Because like David, we are all sinners. And we are all beloved children of God. Reflect. Confess. And be forgiven.